You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Welcome, everyone. It's so good to see you. I, if you're joining us from your kitchen, like Katie is doing this morning, uh, if you're joining us uh, in your PJs, uh, if you've got your breakfast in your lap, or if you are eagerly, like all of us are, anticipating gathering around the table, we're so very glad that you're here. So welcome. Let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you for the gift of your word spoken into this world, calling light from darkness, giving shape and earth and matter. God, we just thank you. And Father, we pray that you'll open up our ears today, all of us, that we will hear your word. We will pray, as Paul prayed, that it will come not just with words alone, with power, with full conviction, and with your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit as one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life right now? You know, we have to think about the things that we are doing because what we do turns us into, makes us into what we are and what we become. And so it's important to focus in on our doings because our doings define who we are. Here at Jesus, here at, here at First Christian, our mission is to follow Jesus. That's what we're about. That's what Katie was describing for us. The desire that's in each one of us to be an intentional follower of Jesus. And that's what we, we've been unpacking here. We just started last week. Two more Sundays, we'll conclude. But we're looking at what it is to follow Jesus. Last week, it's being present everywhere with Jesus. And this week, it's doing the things that Jesus did. In coming look, weeks, we'll look at saying and going where Jesus goes. But for now, we're going to spend our time on the doing. Doing what Jesus does, because that's what we're about. And so I want to invite you, if you're able to, to, to stand up with as we read the Word of God from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. Each week, we get a different Gospel. Each week, we go a little deeper in defining what the following Jesus looks like, what discipleship looks like. And we're in Luke today, chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And I'll read the first 11 verses, and I'll drop down to verse 27. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and a crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, and he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the crowds from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked all night, but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I'll let the, down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. 
So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled up both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And when they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Now verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. The word of the Lord from the Gospel of Luke. Thanks be to God. Whenever I'm hearing a story, or there is a story that's unfolding. And our story today is a story about what happens that's not the main thing. You know this when you're watching a movie or listening to a story and you're paying attention to things unfolding over here. But in the corner, in an unlooked section or a scene, there is something going on that's unfolding. Maybe a minor character, something happening. And the main thing over here may fit. But the main thing begins to be this small thing over on the side. Is this something that you've noticed? Maybe you're like this whenever you're watching a TV show. You're looking for those corner things because you know that somehow they're going to tie back in. That 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 person is going to be the one who did it. That person is going to be the main featured person to, to come into the scene. Well, as believers in Jesus, what we think of as the main thing is, is Jesus' teaching, right? We want to hear Jesus speak. Well, Luke is in control of the camera. And he tells us that Jesus is speaking the Word of God, but he doesn't tell us all that Jesus is saying. Now, that's frustrating to me. I don't know if it is for you as a believer. I would like the transcript. Tell me exactly what Jesus said. I want to know his words. I want to I get all of his points. I want to know his main argument. But that's not what Luke does. Well, he tells us what Jesus says. I didn't read this in verse 43 of the previous chapter. We, we know what Jesus is preaching about. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God available to everyone. That it's come near and you can enter it. And that's the message, but that's all we get is that simple message. And I want more. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus has got his eye on something else. Did you notice this? Jesus has his eye on two boats. Now what in the world does a boat have to do with this story? Jesus spots two boats. He's teaching along, and he just kind of makes his way over to one of those boats, and he climbs in. Uh, Mind you, this is not his boat. He gets into the boat, and he tells the owner of the boat, Simon, push off from the land a little bit. And Simon Peter does not say, well, who put you in charge? This is my boat. Where's your ticket? Simon Peter doesn't say anything like that. He just acts. He just does. 
He just obeys and pushes uh, Jesus out on the boat a little bit from the shore. And Jesus begins teaching and speaking, and again, that's the main thing. That's what I want to hear, but we don't hear that. And when Jesus finishes speaking and teaching, he turns to Peter, the owner of the boat, and says, let's go off into deeper waters, and let's have you put your nets down for a catch of fish. Now here is where we get a little hesitation from Peter. Peter pauses just a moment and says, Master, just to let you in on something, we've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing. But if you say so, we'll, we'll go out fishing. No problem. And they all get in the boat and they head out to the sea. They drop their nets down. Now, I don't know if you've been there before, but I've been there before. Where Jesus is giving me instruction and I'm like, okay, but I don't think you fully understand what's going on here. Let me just tell you what I've been doing. Master, right? Respectfully, master. Have you been there? I mean, you're compliant. You're doing what Jesus has told you to do, but you kind of have to wonder if God's a little confused on what God is doing because God hasn't made it as clear what God's up to. Have you been there? Do you understand what I'm talking about? But Peter says, okay, I'll do it. And that's when all this bubbling and thrashing and fishes flopping everywhere begins to happen. We hear nets popping. We hear fishermen yelling at one another. We see them scooping fish into the boat, calling for more boats to come and help and haul this fish away. And what happens they finally drag this mess of fish to the shore, and Peter, taking the lead, comes and falls at the knees of Jesus. He says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Now that's really curious to me. It's not curious that Peter's in the lead. He's, he's kind of always there, the outspoken one. But there he is, showing this honor and respect, bowing down before Jesus and saying, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful person. Now, it happens a lot in Scripture that people are struck by fear and terror when they come into the presence of the holy. Right? And, I, and I, I know that, and perhaps you know that. That might be new information. I don't know. But whenever a, a theophany, whenever God appears as a messenger or an angel, a lot of times people get afraid. And so, I don't want to just think about this as surprise. I want to go a little deeper into the deeper waters because something's going on here. I want to know why we're given to terror. And I'm not going to look at all the other places. I just want to look at this passage. We could do that. But here in this passage, Peter gives us the answer of why he himself is afraid and terrified in the presence of Jesus. His lips express it. He is afraid because of his own sin. When you come into the presence of the holy, you become very aware that you are not holy and that maybe you shouldn't be there. Or at least the divine one should be got far away from you. Now, this is important because a lot of times people use Jesus to incite fear and to incite terror and to stir up people. And I, I think this is important because I don't know that God really wants to inspire fear and terror. 
that may not be the result, the response that he wants, right? Of course it's going to naturally happen because we recognize our sinfulness. But here's what happens. When we come into the present, there's a sinister step that we can take. A sinister step where we realize our own sin, and that sin becomes a barrier to us being in the presence of God. Are you with me? We begin to think, I'm not good enough to be here. Our guilt, our insufficiency, our insignificance makes us think, you know, I need to isolate myself. I need to separate myself from God. That's not what God wants. Jesus is not going away. That kind of thinking is the kind of thinking that God cares more about your sin than about you. And God doesn't. God does away with your sin. God wants you to come close to Him. Even though sometimes we wish Jesus would just go away, just leave us alone because it's too frightening. Well, pair this to this, this idea of our sin maybe separating us from God to a parent and a child. And I've said this to my kids their whole lives. Just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you're no longer my child. And sometimes when a child makes a mistake, a parent might say, well, you idiot, you dummy, how'd you do that? What? And the child begins to feel like they are the mistake. Brothers and sisters, when we make a mistake, when we sin, our sin doesn't suddenly make us not children of God. Any more than a parent who messes up is not suddenly no longer the person's parent. That is something that's irrevocable. And with God, when God comes into our presence, we become very aware of our sinfulness, but it is not a time to run away from God. It's time to be close and near to God. Now here, in this place, Jesus says, no, you know, I, I don't want you to go away, essentially. I want to teach you to do something new. I want to teach you to catch people. And he invites them to come. And when they get to the shore, they leave everything and walk away and follow Jesus. Now we like to talk about this. We like to point this out of what all gets left behind. Boats and people, nets, fishing supplies, a business, a job. In Luke, I'm kind of surprised by what gets left behind. The fish. The big pile of fish. The miracle gets left behind just walks away from it. Now that's confusing to me because a lot of times in our relationship with God, we ask for a miracle. We want something to be done. And we want a healing. We want someone to get a job. We want a family to be restored. We want a positive outcome. We want this miracle. And sometimes we get the answer. Sometimes it is a miraculous thing. But here, even the miracle is walked away from. That's very important. That we not put our faith in what actually happens. That we leave that miracle in the rear view mirror in order to follow Jesus. Alright, well we're in this phase. This second dot of doing what Jesus did. And I have to tell you, this is the most intimidating one. To talk about actually doing what Jesus did? Is that what we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to conjure up miraculous catches of fish? 
calm storms, heal people, bring them back from the dead? Are we obligated for these deeds of power? Well, folks, yes, we're going to see deeds of power. But it just feels like a tall order to think that that's what I'm supposed to do. Well, doing what Jesus did is copying this fighting against evil in all of its forms. Wherever evil is manifest, we speak against it. We walk away from it. And we don't need to be intimidated by doing what Jesus did because it's not our power, it's His power. When we think about these things, about doing what Jesus did, it means that we're working and fighting against evil. We're trying to amplify the good that is in the world. And we, do, we can do this through medical means, as we go to doctors, by how we take care of our bodies with exercise and eating. There are a lot of things that can work with the miraculous ability of the, bi of the body to heal itself, right? You don't have to think of this entirely as mysterious. But whenever Jesus invites us into doing what Jesus did, he's asking us to be a learner, to learn from him how to live our lives, to do things as he has done them. We need a model. We need someone that we can imitate. You know, with this, I might, put it, I might phrase it like this. Doing what Jesus did means having a, a gentle and firm non-cooperation with evil. I'm going to be gentle about it. I'm going to be firm about it. But I am not going to cooperate with evil in any of its forms. Whether that's in my family or in the workplace or out in the world anywhere, I'm not going to cooperate with evil. Now that's, that's difficult. That's difficult for us today in our world right now. And so I'm going to invite you to sit up in your seat, tune your ears, and to hear me. Because I'm going to mention something about politics, but I'm not going to be political. And I have to, I have to warn you on the front end, because it's really easy to hear something and think that I'm presenting a side or a choice, okay? So has everybody got your ears open? Can we take a deep breath? that it's okay, and I want us to pay very close, close attention and listen, because sometimes to talk about politics is not to be political, right? Political is to use it for some side or another, okay? Uh, in visiting with a 90-plus-year-old woman that I like to talk with about faith and things, she mentioned to me that for the majority of her life, people could talk about who they voted for or what they voted about. And it would be, okay. Christian people could vote differently. They could see things differently, and it was okay. But now, it's become more of a fight, more of a battle. So we got all of our ears open. We're ready. Deep breath. You're going to offer me a great measure of grace, right? The last 10 days have been a sad, embarrassing time for our world and for our country. We have American troops that are sleeping in the United States Capitol building on the floor where children should be walking with their teachers and learning about civic behavior and democracy, but they're not able to because of COVID. You know, whenever we think about what's happened at the Capitol, we've seen people that we have elected hiding under their desks, hiding on the floor, 
hiding in the basement, from people that we did not elect and may not have chosen, chosen at all to stir up chaos and discord. We have seen protesters trampled to death by their own fellow protesters. We have seen Confederate flags representing our last division marching through the U.S. Capitol. This division over slavery being put on parade. Police officers have died protecting and trying to preserve the peace. More than six people have died in a mob riot that intended to disrupt the process of transition. And I don't know about you, but as I watch the scenes, they get more and more discouraging and disheartening. We've impeached a president again, a president who refuses to, the out, to accept the outcome of defeat, to congratulate his opponent, and to pass off power that he was given to, a president who even invited the mob to riot in his defense. These are not just sad days. These are dark days because we are people of the United States and we're not acting very united or very stately. We're holding on to positions, we're entertaining divisions, and we're refusing to listen to one another and avoiding cooperation. So I, I bet you're like me. You're asking yourself, what is a Christian supposed to do? And I hope what I've described so far you can hear is just a description of what's there, what's happened. And I think it's appropriate for us to ask because we can't just say it's no big deal. We have to be able to talk and reason together. And so what I want to do, brothers and sisters, is offer you something from me about how followers of Jesus are to do the things that Jesus did, how we're to act in crazy times like this. And so I've got seven things. And, and there'll be a mix of things that are very, very practical. There might be one or two that you get really upset about that you don't like. I'll, I'll warn you before those come. But they're things that I honestly feel like will help us as Christians do the things Jesus did. Are we ready? Is everybody still breathing okay? Just checking in, because you know how it is right now. It's just so difficult. So let's, let's take this seriously here. Number one, and you might want to write these down because you might have to look at them because I'm just going to kind of spew them out of a fire hose. Number one, God is love. God is love. And we love God by loving other people, especially those that are different from us, especially those that are opponents of ours. In fact, the only way that we can show that we express our love to God is to love others. That's number one. Number two, Listen to your opponents. Don't talk. Don't speak. Listen. Ask questions. Seek to understand. The fact that you're confused by them means that you don't understand. So be curious and be quiet and listen. You got that one? We're listening. Number three, you don't have to win. You don't even have to be right. But you do have to practice humility. Number three is humility. Admit that you're wrong. Acknowledge evil that you've done. It's okay. We make mistakes. All of us do. All right, so that's number three. Number four. This one might trample on toes, so we'll see. 
God is not bound to the perceived success of any one country or any one leader. God's just not bound up in that. We don't have to worry about one leader or one particular nation. In fact, we've had one president for a while. We're about to have another president. We've given one president a chance. And as people of these United States, we're going to give the next person an opportunity. Our country is not about one leader. Five. Now this, of anything I've said, this one's going to maybe make you the maddest. So are we ready? Get, get all that bad air out. Watch out for banners and t-shirts or signs that combine political things and religious things. These two things put together. So if you see something that has a picture of Jesus or the name of Jesus or the cross of Jesus and it's combined with the name of a country or a flag or uh, a position, don't try not to blend those two together. Now why? This is really important. If you blend Jesus with a country or with the name of a leader, what you're doing is bringing God down. That's blasphemy, folks. I know we've prob I've, I've not seen any of these in particular, but there are phrases and signs where we combine these things together. And so I'll give you one, and this is where you may throw something at me, and if you're at home, I hope it's a slipper, not just for my sake, but for your TV. I mean, let's, so like uh, I, I stand for the flag and I kneel for the cross. Seems like a good thing, right? Well, that's bringing together a political thing, a a, a, a thing about a country and a religious thing. If you do that, you're bringing God down. So don't get worried. I mean, you might have a sign or a shirt. Just think about it. That's all I'm inviting you to do is to think about the blending of religion and politics together because we don't want to blaspheme against God. Two more. I think most people are still breathing. I have not seen anyone fall over yet. On, at home, I don't know. Less constant input. If you're listening to only one news outlet, reduce that down. I don't care what it is, but if it's just one, reduce it. Increase your input of more diverse media outlets. Maybe even those that you disagree with. And maybe those that are more respected. It's pretty easy to find something on social media or someone that somebody said or a blog somewhere that might seem great, but increase your listening to other diverse media outlets. Now the last one. Aren't you glad there's a last one? We follow Jesus. If you want to know what we do, we follow Jesus' lead. And Jesus leads by healing and by teaching and by self-sacrifice. Jesus didn't even have to defend himself. He let himself be killed to show us what kind of a God we follow and we serve. And that's what gives me the greatest hope of all, is that we already know who our leader is. We are following God. So I ask you, what I asked you at the front, what are you doing? 
What's consuming your time? What's consuming your energy? What's consuming your anxiety? What are you preparing for? Because here at First Christian, we are following Jesus. And when you do that, the world is a much better place. Hopefully these things I offer tentatively to you, graciously to you. Hopefully you'll be forgiving of me. But hopefully you will also see that this is a way that Christians can live in the world to do the very things that Jesus did. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we need your help now more than ever. Our world is something of a mess, and it always has been. But God, we know that you are our leader, so we're not afraid. We're not afraid of any person or any country or any belief because we are following you. Would you help us as believers to more closely follow Jesus and to less closely follow even what we think is right, even who we elect as leader, even the country that we live in. Because we are Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for what you've shown us in Jesus. I, I, I'm just dumbfounded that you're a God that can show up on human history and Give your life away? Could that be real? Thank you, God, for the grace and the mercy that you've shown us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit as one God now and forever. Amen.